If you'll grab your Bible and turn with me to um, Luke chapter 8, I want to speak to the subject this morning, simply listen up. Simple title today, just listen up. And I hope you're listening and not falling asleep on me this morning. I see you every Sunday if you fall asleep. I just want you to know that. I probably really don't, but uh, sometimes I'll catch somebody snoozing in here. Um, it happened in, in, in the South Asia this past week. We were teaching for long periods of time, and I would notice certain people over there snoozing away. Some were American and some were not Americans in those times, and we're not going to name names or anything. Gray hair, long beard. I have a story there. We don't have time to talk about it, but it is hilarious. And, uh, but listen up. That's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at Luke chapter 8. Real familiar parable that we're going to talk about, the parable of the soil. Sometimes people refer to it as the parable of the sower. I believe the emphasis is on the soil, not so much on the sower, though obviously both are necessary. But we need to listen up. You know, several years ago, if you uh, are old enough, you probably remember the old Verizon wireless commercial, the slogan, Can You Hear Me Now? Uh, 2002, I think, is when it started to about 2011 from when I looked at this past week. But in the commercials, you'd always see the same guy, and he would be in different places. Maybe it's in a, a, a football stadium, or he's in a train depot, or, or out in the country somewhere, and he'd have his phone, he'd up, his, be up to his ear, and he'd be like, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And, and we can concur with that slogan because one of the most frustrating things about cell phones is when they don't work, Right? I mean, you pay all this money, you, you get the nice phone, you have a nice package, we live in America, and yet there are many places in our country where you cannot get a signal, and you definitely can't get a data signal. And so you might be able to talk, but you can't send anything. And so that can be so frustrating for our first world mindset. Amen? I mean, we want to be able to connect to people, we want to be able to send stuff, we want all of those conveniences that come with living in a first world culture. Here's an illustration of that. I land on the ground Wednesday from uh, flying from overseas. We get to Dulles International, and I did exactly what most of the people on the plane did and what I do every time I've landed at Dulles International. I grab my phone. This time it was in the seat back in front of me. I pull it out. I turn it on, and there's two things I'm going to do. I'm going to check the messages because I've been flying for 14 hours, and so I've been disconnected from the world for 14 hours. I've got to figure out what's going on. And then I'm also going to let my wife know that we're on the ground, everything's safe and good, we'll be home in a few hours, that sort of thing. So I turn it on, I try to get a signal, and like always, I can't get anything. Here I am sitting in a tin can outside the nation's capital, and I can't get a signal to do any sort of communicating. There is no more, can you hear me now? No, we can't hear anything because there's nothing. Very frustrating on that landing, just as always. You know, we also get frustrated, not just from our cell signal when it doesn't work. We get frustrated when you're sitting in a room and you've been talking with somebody for a, the last two or three minutes, and all of a sudden you realize they haven't heard a word you've said. Anybody been there? Any wives been there before? Your husbands has just tuned you out? Any husbands? You, you, you know what exactly what I'm talking about. Your wife doesn't pay attention to you. You're talking about, I don't know, the, 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 the pictures from your trail cams this time of year. You're trying to talk about this buck you got on camera, and she's like, she's, she's out to lunch. She's talking, thinking about where she's going to go and get a target, and, and it's just a disconnect. There's frustration that can come of that. How is that possible that you can sit in the same room with a person 
and they never hear what you have to say. Have you ever thought about that? They have two ears, and they both work, I think. Even when they don't work, you got little things in your ears that help them work, right? The hearing aids. You turn those things up or turn those things down. And yet, they've got the capacity to hear, and yet they're not hearing. How is that possible? Happens with the Lord as well. Not that he doesn't hear us, but that we don't hear him. And that, that's what we're going to look at this morning. You see, while someone not receiving your text or your child or, or your spouse not hearing the words that you're saying may be one thing, not hearing the Lord is altogether another thing. And so the Lord gets frustrated, but that's not what we're going to see this morning. We're not going to talk about the Lord's frustration, but what we're going to see here this morning is the importance of us listening and heeding the word of God, because failing to hear his word is a matter of life or death. And so Luke, as the good doctor that he was, shares with us here in this next pericope that we're working with how important it is to listen up and have ears that hear. And so I want us to look at this passage, our next stop on this journey through the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 8, let's begin reading in verse 4. Luke says this, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, that's Jesus, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When his disciples asked him about this parable, what it meant, he said, to, he said, To you it has been granted to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe or be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares of the world, cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Another translation of that last word is perseverance. This pericope or this passage here, just like the next two that we'll look at over the next few Sundays, relate to a theme of revelation and response. God speaking, the people hearing and responding to it. In fact, what we looked at a couple of weeks ago in verse 1, Jesus, if you remember, is traveling throughout the towns and villages, and he's proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. So he's preaching the word, revelation is being dispensed, and people are responding in various ways. And so the parable of the soils here explains the type of reactions people were making to the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as I traveled last week with the other members of our team over in South Asia, as we shared, sometimes it was house to house, sometimes it was um, in, a, in a business setting, a little shop setting, whatever. As we shared, as we tried to proclaim the gospel, people responded always. They just responded differently. 
Sometimes we would come across and maybe go to a visit a house and, and for the very first time this individual is hearing the gospel and they said yes to Jesus. No to my sin. I want to turn from my sin and I'm turning to Jesus Christ. And they prayed and gave their life to Christ and they identified with Christ. Others, it was the second, third, fifth time, tenth time that they had heard the gospel but they believed and even took baptism. And then there were other times where you would be sharing and they would say, you know what, yeah, I, that sounds really good to me and I believe what you're saying and I want to follow Jesus. And it sounded good up until we asked another question. Are you willing, do you want to, will you turn from the gods you're following, the idols of Hinduism, and will you follow Jesus and Jesus alone? And in and, and those instances, we would oftentimes hit a roadblock. Ah, yeah, yeah, I believe Jesus, I believe what you're teaching, I believe what you're saying, and so I want to follow Jesus, but I'm going to follow the rest of my gods just like I follow Jesus. So really what they wanted to do is take Jesus, put him on the shelf with all the other idols, and worship them all. And so we would say, no, no, you can't do that. The Bible says that there is but one God, that we're to have no other God before him. And so you have to turn from your sin, trust Jesus, and follow him only. And there we would get this different response. Oh, I, I don't want to do that. In fact, one lady, we were sharing with her um, Last Sunday, I believe, uh, Sunday afternoon, we, a couple of us went to this lady's house or the, this man and woman's house. She invited us in. We had just uh, went over and had seen some people baptized. And so we're walking back, and they invite us in. And uh, we shared the gospel with her, and she had that same response. Yes, I want to believe in Jesus. And so we talked through that, and it seemed like she was ready to fully walk with Jesus up until uh, our translator noticed that she had some sort of necklace on that spoke of a Hindu god or some sort of Hindu tradition she was following. And we talked to her about that, and she was unwilling to walk away from that, take it off, and to follow Jesus alone. And so we had to come to a place where we parted ways with her, leaving the gospel there but not allowing her to put Jesus up alongside the other idols. Other times we would come into a place, we would begin to share, and they say, no, no, I'm Hindu, I want nothing to do with that. There's varied responses to the gospel over there as well as right here at home. You see, when we share the gospel, whether it's in a setting like this on a Sunday morning as I'm preaching or someone else is preaching or in a small group, there is always a response people are making to the gospel. As you're sharing the gospel in the workplace or in your neighborhood, people will make varied responses to Jesus. And so the Lord speaks to this issue right here in this parable. What is a parable? Have you ever thought about what a parable is? I heard this definition a long time ago, and I think it helps us give a, a, a really easy image of what it is. A parable is simply this. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable is something that Jesus used, a story Jesus is using in, in a context that everybody understands because it's, it's regular life. So this agricultural image we see here in Luke chapter 8 is an image that everyone in that world would have understood and could, could see. And Jesus uses this image to teach a grander story, to give a heavenly meaning to life, specifically here, what it means to respond to the preaching of the gospel. And so this parable of the soils draws upon a rich agricultural image which the Lord's audience easily would have understood. The parable here reminds us that people will respond to the gospel in various ways, just as I demonstrated. In it, we also see that while there are various responses to the gospel, there is only one way we must respond. 
You see, all three of the four are, are, are not good responses. Three of the four do not lead to salvation, but one does. And so God's message of the kingdom graciously comes to us, but in that it necessitates a willingness for us to believe and to follow and to walk in its message. And so here we have this call to listen up. So I want us to dig into this. Three main thoughts. i got some subpoints as always. Got dogged about that this past week. Three main points that I want us to look at. First of all, I want us to, to look at the characters in the parable. The characters that are here on display in this parable. There are three of them. First of all, we see the character of the sower. Look there in verse 5. Jesus says, a sower went out to sow his seed. So in this story, what I want you to picture is a man because Jesus identifies this individual as a man, and he has a bag draped across maybe his waist, maybe it's slung over his shoulder, but it's some sort of material that inside the material is a bunch of seed. And so this man is walking rhythmically through his field, and he's broadcasting the seed. He's just walking and casting the seed. He's sowing the seed in his field. The sower here represents Christ, but it also represents any of us who would take the gospel, take the word of God, and proclaim it, sow it, so that others can hear and to believe. And so as this individual casts out the seed, its goal is to produce a crop. There is the character of the sower. Secondly, there's the character of the seed. It says that the sower went out to sow his seed. Within every seed, I want you to think about this. Within every seed, there is an infinite potential for life. I don't know if you've noticed or if you've been around back, but a couple weeks ago, we, uh, uh, some of our landscaping guys, our grounds committee guys, led this effort to, uh, to have new dirt brought in around the admin building and, and for seed to be sown because we want grass back there. We want grass back there to hold the dirt there. And we want grass back there so it looks good. And so uh, I left to go overseas a few weeks ago, and it was just a bunch of straw and, uh, and water on top because they were watering that stuff like crazy. I get back, and it was a beautiful sight to see little green things coming up through that straw. I'm grateful for those guys, aren't you? And you know what happened there? They sowed seed, and the potential of that seed was that grass would sprout. Grass would grow. And so that's what's happening here. You have seed that has the potential for life. The seed here in the parable represents the word of God. We see that in verse 11. The seed here is the word of God, and the word is mighty because it cannot just, not just produce a, a, a piece of grass or, or corn stalk. The word of God here as the seed has the potential to bring eternal life. So we've got the sower, we've got the seed. Thirdly, we have this character of the soils. There are four soils in the parable. The first soil is that of the path. It's the soil that's on the path. In the fields of Palestine, there were paths that ran through the common fields. They, they would separate the plots. Really, you would see this in any third world country you go to. I saw it as I was overseas uh, just recently. And so you may have this big field, and it's all uh, farmed by the same farmer or the same family, or it may be subdivided for multiple families. Either way, you're going to have these paths that go across the field, and in between the paths, you have the ground that's actually being tilled and grown or, or, or uh, farmed there in the field. And so that's what's happening here. And so these paths, because of the foot traffic, have hardened and compacted so that the ground is extremely hard. That is the first soil. 
The second soil is rocky. In many parts of Israel, there is a substratum or a bedrock of limestone covered with just a real thin layer of, of topsoil. And, and so there in this type of soil, this rocky soil, you've got, a, you've got a shallow bit of dirt or a shallow level of dirt there. And so what happens is that dirt will grow, or not grow, it will warm quickly so that when the seed hits, it will germinate and something will grow very quickly. And so Jesus here alludes to the fact that it hits the ground, it germinates and sprouts quickly, given this impression that there is really something going to come of this, and yet, because it has no root, there's no moisture, so when the sun gets high and the sun gets hot, it withers and dies. That's the second soil. The third soil is full of weeds. Here we see the picture of of a plot of ground where the dirt is deep enough to establish good rooting, but there's not enough room for the plant to grow upward and produce a crop because of all of the weeds and the thorns that are choking it out. So it's choked out by the surrounding weeds. And then the fourth soil is referred to as good soil. It is deep, it's fertile, it's loose. In this soil, the seed can sprout, it can develop strong roots, it can grow, and ultimately it's going to produce a crop. Mark, in his Gospels, he Uh, shares this parable, talks about it yielding 30, 60, and 100. Luke here just talks about it yielding a hundredfold. The point is good soil produces fruit. So these are the three characters working together to explain four different responses to the gospel. So secondly, let's move in and, and talk about the concepts in the parable. What are these characters pointing us to? What's the concept Jesus wants to get across? Remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So the three characters here are pointing uh, to something. They're not there for us to focus on them. We're not to look at the intricacies of the sea. We're not to look at the intricacies, intricacies of the sower. What we're to see here is a response. How are we to respond to the gospel? Or how do people respond to the gospel? So I want to give you four responses as we think about this concept in the parable. First of all, we see a calloused response. The soil of the human heart that is calloused is hard and it is impenetrable. Uh, So it's fitting that this is the soil of the path. The soil of the path in the field has been beaten down. It's as hard as pavement. All of this has happened because many feet have went across it. The hooves of the animals have crossed it. Maybe the wheels of wagons and other things have crossed it. So that ground, that soil is beaten down. It is hard as rock. I saw that just recently. I mean, you could throw, you could dump piles of seed onto that ground and nothing's ever going to grow on that. Why? Because it can never penetrate into the soil where it needs to be to grow. And so as the sower goes out to sow his seed, remember that image of, a, uh, uh, of some sort of uh, cloth uh, draped across his shoulder around his waist and he's casting the seed out. All that seed is going in different places and some of it's falling on those hard paths and on that hard path, all it is doing is hitting the ground and bouncing away. And Jesus takes it a step further. He says that the birds of, he- of heaven come down, they swoop down from the sky and they steal the seed. They're feasting on the seed. He takes it even further. It's not that they're just feeding on that. He says the devil, the image is speaking of the devil, taking the gospel away so that they do not hear, so that the gospel seed does not get implanted into the human heart. And so 
The hard beaten paths are emblematic of some people who hear the gospel. And the busyness of life, the challenges of life, they have hardened them to the point that nothing in God's word can stir them. Nothing in their life, nothing in the word of God penetrates their life so that they hear the word of God and respond faithfully to the word of God. Many times the hardest hearts reside in people who are sophisticated and, and wealthy and educated. And because of their, their, their uh, wealth and education and their lifestyle, they believe that they don't need anything else. They believe that every need they have, they can meet themselves. And so they never think outside of their own abilities about life. They never look to the Lord. Jesus, as I said, points out that the birds here come down and swoop and get the seed. And so it speaks of the spiritual warfare that's going on. I want you to think about this. The devil never wants us to set under the word of God. The devil never wants us as a, as a lost individual, dead in sin and trespasses, to hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond. Never wants that. Why? Because he understands that if that seed were ever to take root and spring into life, everything in that person's life would change. They would be moved from death to life. That they would be moved from condemnation to acceptance by the Lord. Everything would change. He would lose his hold on that individual. So he's going to do everything possible to keep them in bondage to himself. So just as the seed is sown on the hard path and it finds no fertile soil, the person with a calloused response to the gospel will hear the word, but he or she will immediately allow the devil to snatch that seed away. And so this person's heart is hard, and he is not a Christ follower. There's a second response. This is what we're going to call a crusty response. I'm going with all C's here. I've tried to alliterate the whole sermon, but I got to one thing you'll notice in a moment that's not the right letter, but you can at times push it to the point where it's just beyond understanding. I remember uh, Adrian Rogers, who I deeply respect, but he was a master illustrator. If you know Adrian Rogers, pastor Bellevue Baptist in Memphis for, golly, 30 years or 40 years, great preacher, but he is a master illustrator, uh, um, not illustrator, um, Alliterator, and uh, and so there are times like I'd have to get the dictionary. Like I don't know what you're saying, Doctor Rogers, because you've got a point here. It matches all the other points for as far as the alphabet. I have no idea what that word means. Uh, so I try not to push it too far and, and get all into the alliteration. But this morning we're doing some of that. So you got a, a callous response. You have a crusty response. This soil of the human heart is crusty, meaning it's shallow and deceptive. I want you to think about the. The, the soil along the highways. You know, it's amazing how weeds and other things can spring up on the highways like really, really quick. It's because the ground is shallow. It's because it gets warm. That seed warms up. It germinates. It grows. But what happens when the sun gets really hot in the middle of the summer? That stuff begins to fade. That stuff begins to die off. That's the picture here. You have this immediate emotional response to the preaching of the gospel. But after a while, when things begin to get hard, when difficulty takes place, takes root when persecution breaks out there is this emotional hearer who no longer is interested in the things of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ no longer desiring to follow after the Lord 
While hardship and persecution has the ability and God uses it to deepen the, the, the faith and deepen the roots of a true believer, they only expose the deception and the shallowness of the false believer. And so just like the callous heart, the crusty heart is not a follower of Christ. There's a third response, and that is the crowded response. The soil of the human heart here is crowded. In other words, it's infested and distracted. Now, in this uh, soil, the, the deep dirt is deep enough for roots to grow deep, but there's not enough room for that plant to spread out and to grow upward and produce fruit. And so the plant is crowded and the fruit is choked out. If you're a gardener, uh, you understand this. You'll, you'll buy something at the, at the Lowe's or some sort of gardening store, and whether it's a flower or a vegetable, it's going to tell you the proximity that this plant needs to be planted in in relationship to the other plants, right? You don't just take a bunch of flowers and just line them up right next to each other. If you do, they're never going to get to the full height and the full uh, uh, beautifulness of the bountifulness of the plant that the potential is not going to be lived out if you do that and so what you want to do is you want to plant it where there's space to grow I mean if you're growing watermelons I remember this as a kid my grandpa used to grow watermelons and we had spread those things out like three four five six foot maybe from each other these hills that we would make why would we do that so that those runners from that watermelon plant had space to run and to grow and to produce their fruit. They weren't competing for the same nutrients in the same water. So the crowded heart is a choked out heart. The cares, the riches, the pleasures of the world are like weeds in a garden that prevent the soil from being fruitful. Let me illustrate this further. Last week I had the opportunity to share with a few people over there who seemed to like the message of the gospel. They even indicated that it was a message they believe. They were ready to put their faith in the Lord. Yet, as we shared with them that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ meant that they had to walk away from everything else in their life, all of their idols, and serve only Jesus, their response was one of disappointment. You mean I have to... Only follow Jesus? Yes. It means you only have to follow Jesus. It means I can't follow the, my other gods? It means I can't do, do these other things? Yes. It means that I've got to go to my family and tell my family that I'm no longer walking in their ways, but I'm walking in a new way? Yes. You mean that I'm going to have to stand out in my community and look different because now I'm following Jesus, I'm walking this path, I'm not walking their path? Yes, that's exactly what we mean. And so because of the divided affections that they were affected by, they chose not to walk with Jesus because of the choking out of the circumstances in their lives, which is understandable. Now, it happens to us as well. You see, a crowded response happens when a person hears the gospel's call to repent of sin, but there's an unwillingness to leave a sinful lifestyle. I mean, this morning, if you were to come and you were to say, Pastor, I believe the gospel. I believe that I need Jesus in my life. I believe that this, the Bible's correct where it says that I've sinned and fallen short, that, that I deserve the condemnation that I'm under. I, I believe the, what the Bible says, that I deserve a devil's hell. And I would say, yes, you are on good ground there. You're, you're on the right path as you understand what the Word of God says. And I wouldn't follow that up with, you need to turn from that sin. You need to walk away from that sin. But if that individual said, Pastor, I don't know if I can do that, then I would have to tell them, then you can't be a follower of Jesus. You see, when we come to know Jesus, does that mean, and we trust him as Lord and Savior, does it mean that we are completely 
practically free of sin? No. Positionally, it does. You see, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, positionally, you are made righteous. You are at once at odds with God the Father. You are at war with God the Father. But when you receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life, his righteousness becomes your righteousness, right? So that the Father now looks at you not as a, as a hater of God, but as a friend of God. He looks at you now as a son and daughter of God. So positionally, you are in the kingdom. But practically, I bet your life doesn't match up so well. But what we do initially is we walk away from the sins that are glaring in our face, right? So a person that's been an alcoholic and it's clear that you have a struggle with alcoholism and you have a struggle with addiction, that is the sin that's before you. And so if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is the sin you need to set aside. And God, by his grace, will help you do that. But if you're unwilling to set aside those sins, I don't think you can call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. But let's say you get a handle on alcoholism. Does that mean that you are practically righteous? There's no other sin in your life. I doubt it. But this is what happens, and I shared this with a guy this past week. As we walk in sanctification with the Lord, it's almost like the Lord is peeling the onion layers of our life off. And so it feels like for us that we are never getting any more righteous in Jesus Christ because every time we forsake one sin, we see other sins in our life. But ultimately, when we get down to it at the end of our lives, we're going to look a whole lot more like Jesus than when we started. That's the process of sanctification. That's what the Lord wants to do in our lives. But if we're unwilling to forsake the easiest and the most glaring of sins, I do not believe... We can call ourselves a Christian. So what we see here in this crowded response is soil that's the closest to fertile soil so far. The dirt is deep enough for there to be rooting. It's deep enough for the roots to grow and to get nutrients and to spring up and grow. But because there's an there's a unwillingness to forsake the things of our lives that would kill us, there is no genuine authentic new life in Christ. There's half of that, perhaps. We might call this a half Christians. It's a half response. I want to have Jesus, but I want to have everything else in my life. I want to have Jesus, but I still want to pursue the things of the world. I want to have Jesus, but I still want to follow this religious practice. I want to have Jesus, but I still want to have control of the things of my life. Well, you can't have it both ways. And so Jesus here tells us that the crowded response... It is a life without fruit, and without fruit there is no transformation, according to Matthew 7. The crowded heart is not a follower of Christ. Fourth soil is the capable, or the fourth response is a capable response coming from this good soil. Soil, the human heart that's capable is rich, it's fertile. Here we see the picture of dirt that is deep, it's loose, it's spacious. When the seeds are sown on this type of soil, this capable soil, they're not bouncing away like they do on the hard path. But instead, they're, they're finding root there. They're attaching themselves to the moisture of the dirt. They're not you know, falling into the dirt and being immediately choked out by the things of this world. No, they're finding a place to grow. They're finding a place to sprout and to bear fruit up to a hundredfold. So the soil here alone is fruitful. It illustrates the individual who hears the gospel, understands the gospel, receives the gospel, and then proves it by producing fruit through perseverance. Uh, the ESV ends verse 15 saying, with patience. The idea is perseverance here, meaning that there is 
always going to be hard times in our lives. If you've been a Christian more than a hot minute, you should understand that the Christian life is not easy. There's times where you're going to be at this just moment of, do I continue to walk in faithfulness to the Lord or do I steer to the other way? There's going to be moments where you don't understand why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. And yet we push on. We don't know much about persecution in our context here in America like our brothers and sisters in other hard places do. But we face our own element, our own level of that here. The point is we will always face hardships, but if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, the gospel seed is found capable soil, then we will respond and fruit will be born. So the concept in all of this is one responding to the gospel, the gospel call upon our life. So let's finish up here and look at this third and final thing. Let's look at the call of the parable. What is the call here as we respond to the gospel? This great parable gives us insight into what goes on with those who sit under the word and who believe the gospel. It reveals to us how people will respond, and we see that there are various responses. One is right and true, and others are false. And so what is the call here? If we're going to respond in the right way, what does that look like? Three things. First of all, we have to hear the gospel. We've got to hear the gospel. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, you are not a Christian because you just fell into the salvation, right? At some point in your life, you heard the gospel. You might have been a kid way back in your early years and you were in Sunday school or you came to a vacation Bible school or you went to a camp or, or, or your parents sat at the kitchen table with you one night and shared the gospel with you. But whatever it is, there was a time where you heard what the Bible says about Jesus and your sin and you understood those words. Paul says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So Jesus calls us to hear what the Spirit is saying. That's what he says in verse 8. Let us have ears to hear. So our ears need to be open. They need to be attentive. Our selective hearing should be tuned in to his frequency. Hear the gospel. Secondly, we need to believe in faith. The call here is to hold fast in an honest and good heart. In other words, as we hear the gospel and what it says about ourselves, we need to agree with God about it. When it says that you're a sinner separated from God, we have to agree with God about that. That's what it means to confess. That's what it means to turn from your sins and receive forgiveness. We dare not strive to have Jesus and the world. So we have to believe in faith. Thirdly, we bear fruit with perseverance. So good soil produces good fruit. Therefore, if there's no identifiable fruit, then there's likely no lasting, saving faith. You've probably heard, if you've been in church long enough, the old preacher slogan or whatever that, you know, I can sit in my garage all day long, but that doesn't make me a car. You ever heard anybody say that? It's kind of a quirky, corny type of slogan, but it makes a point. I can be in my garage, I can be in my little shed, and it doesn't make me anything other than a guy that doesn't know what he's doing, typically, right? I mean, you get me under the hood of a car, and I'm definitely going to be having to watch YouTube to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing, and it's going to take me three times longer than they say it's going to take, and then I'm probably going to have to ask somebody to come over and fix it after that. So, um, so it doesn't make me a mechanic, it doesn't make me any of those things. 
The same would be true. You can come to church all day long. You can grow up in church. You can teach Sunday school. You can do all of those things. But if you never, never come to a saving understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. And I'll take it another step. If you don't have fruit produced in your life, if you can't look at your life and others look at your life and say, I see evidence of Jesus in you, you should not think you're a follower of Jesus. Well, I go to church all the time. I've been a member there since I was a knee-high to a tadpole. It doesn't matter. Is there fruit in your life? I, I know Bible verses. It doesn't matter. Is there fruit in your life? I've shared the gospel with people. It doesn't matter. Is there fruit in your life? You know a person by their fruit. And so Jesus here shares a parable to call people to an understanding of the gospel, to help us understand that there are all kinds of ways to respond to Jesus, but there's only one right way. And so this morning, we fuss about our cell phones and we wonder why we're not getting a signal. And, and we, sometimes we even do the slogan, can you hear me now? And you, know, you get a call and you drop that call. Or you get a call and you miss part of the conversation because the, the, the signal's not strong enough. And you're like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? The Lord Jesus this morning is saying this, can you hear me? Because he's always speaking. That's why he says in verse 8, let those who have ears hear. He says it over and over again to the seven churches in Revelation. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. This morning, I wonder, are our, are our ears open and attentive? Or is the frequency tuned in on our ears so that we can hear what Jesus is saying and respond in faith? Now, as we read this parable and we look at it and we try to understand it, it is a, it is a message for lost people. It is a message for those who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if that is you, and you've never come to that place where I was as an 18-year-old freshman at the University of Arkansas, grown up in church, new Bible verses, leader in my student ministry, at the time a small group leader of 7th grade boys, and yet I was not in relationship with Jesus Christ. Shared the gospel to people, led people to faith in Jesus, and yet I had never myself turn from my sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that is similar to your story this morning, I pray that you are listening today. Because this is what the Spirit is saying to you. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Let the seed of the gospel find fertile soil within your heart so that it might germinate, grow, and produce living, lasting fruit. How does that happen? It begins with you understanding that you need Jesus and then trusting him as Lord and Savior. And then you just walk with him the rest of your life. Sometimes you may wonder, like, am I a follower of Jesus? Well, is there fruit in your life? If you believe on Jesus today and it's a genuine commitment, there will be fruit in your life. And so how do you need to respond? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior... I want to call you to come. We're going to have a time of response in just a moment. And this is an opportunity for you to say, I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. Many of you in this room, I understand, are believers. There's fruit in your life. There's evidence there. And so what are we as Christians to glean from this other than uh, an understanding of how, uh, an understanding of, how people will respond to the gospel so that we're not discouraged. I mean, it's, it can be discouraging for a person to be like, yeah, that sounds good. No, thank you. When we share with them, we just need to understand that that's how people will respond. But what else can we learn as Christians this morning? I think 
we could take this parable and we could understand it that even as a follower of Jesus, sometimes the hardness of my heart can be so much that the word of God just kind of bounces right off. And there's moments where I'm not walking, seasons where I'm not walking with Jesus. I think of King David, for instance. There was a season in his life as a man after God's own heart where he was not walking in step with the Lord. How do I know that? Well, he was a peeper looking at a woman through his window as she bathed and called for her and, and did all of the things that we read there in the Bible and then covered it up with murder. I think you could make the easy case that he wasn't walking with Jesus. Even for a whole year afterwards, never confessed his sin. And then all of a sudden, God in his grace sends Nathan the prophet to confront him. And what does he say? Psalm 51, against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. There's seasons in our lives where we as Christians walk at a guilty distance. And in those seasons, we do not allow God's word to take root in our life and to bring forth fruit. So maybe that's the season you're in. I don't know. You could be in one of those seasons, but this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I encourage you to come to Christ today. Confess your sin and trust him as Lord and Savior. If you're a Christian walking into guilty distance, stop and come home. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask the Lord to plow up the ground of your life so that you, once again, can listen and grow and be all that the Lord would have you to be as a follower of Jesus. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Trevor's going to come and we're going to sing. Let's just ask the Lord to speak to our hearts as we move into a time of response. And then after our time of response, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. So this actually would be a really good time for you to just personally prepare your heart for that as we uh, symbolize and, and, and uh, identify with the Lord Jesus through the supper. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and grace to us. Thank you for loving us enough to send your own son to die for our sins. Father, I pray that we would never get over that. God, that we would never give over what you have done, the, the depths that you had to stoop to, to redeem us. Lord, I pray that we would also never get over the fact that you are always calling us, always drawing us. We just need to have ears that can hear. And Father, we learn from this parable how we need to respond. And God, I pray that the soil of our heart is capable, that it's plowable. Lord, that it's uh, in, a, in a situation, in a state where seed of the gospel can find fertile ground, sprout, and produce a crop. Lord, you help those in this room, those maybe listening and watching online, who've never yet put their faith and trust in Jesus. God, I pray that today would be the day for them. Help them to make that decision this morning. Whether they're a teenager, a, a child, an adult, a senior adult. God, whether it's a man or a woman this morning, I pray that if they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus, that today would be that day. We thank you for it. God, as we prepare our hearts, even for the Lord's Supper in just a moment, use this time to perhaps point out some areas of our lives that are not right. And God, help us to confess, turn from that, experience forgiveness. God, you're gracious and good, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.